Welcome to the ninth season of the Combustion Chronicles podcast, where bold leaders combine with big ideas to make life better for all of us. I'm your host, Sean Nason, CEO and founder of Mophie. This season is all about amplifying the voices of badass women leaders in the healthcare industry who are influencing change by thinking big, putting people first, and not being okay with the status quo. Experience matters, culture matters, and revenue matters. That's why it's time to unite to ignite a people-first business revolution, especially industries that affect all of us like healthcare. Denise Wiseman's career in healthcare began in a critical access hospital in Washington state and expanded to serve organizations large and small across the United States. After working in both nonprofit and for-profit health systems, including the last decade in patient experience, Denise seeks to make a ruckus that makes a difference wherever she goes. In 2021, she founded the PX Community, an organization that seeks to disrupt how the healthcare industry supports patient experience professionals, as well as other healthcare professionals, in their efforts to improve the experience of care for patients by removing barriers to thought leadership and resources. Denise encourages people to collaborate, think differently, and develop connections and relationships beyond their organizations and professions. Denise, welcome to the Combustion Chronicles. Thank you, Sean. So happy to be here with you today. It is such an honor to have you here, such a privilege to have you here on the Combustion Chronicles in this season that has just been dynamite with other amazing women in healthcare leadership. And um, I put you right up there with them um, on what you're doing. But before we dive into all of that, you know, you are such an important voice for us in the patient experience world, um, just was with you this fall in Boston, but that's not where you really started your career. So what was the catalyst that led you into the world of patient experience? John, there were two things. So I've been in healthcare for over 25 years, but patient experience the last decade and two things really led me to that route. The first was I had a, the privilege and opportunity to listen to Quint Studer speak I don't know, 15 years into my career, and then just uh, read his Hardwiring for Excellence. And my copy of that book is dog-eared and highlighted and has notes in the margins. So I was a fangirl of his message and what he was seeking to do. The second thing is I had a significant health event that landed me in the ED and then three days in the hospital. And this could have been prevented. I had reached out to my physician with a concern and he didn't listen to me. And I would actually say he didn't even speak to me. He spoke through his nurse assistant uh, to me. And I had called because I had a cramp in my leg, in my calf that wouldn't go away. And he had put me in a boot for an Achilles injury. So that's why I called him. What I didn't know was that cramp was actually a blood clot. And though I described, because I described it as a cramp, even though I said it had been going on for multiple days, he and his nurse didn't ask any further questions, but advised that I drink more water. Of course, me, I said, oh, of course, I'm so stupid. Uh, but two days later, when I stood up, the clock, the clock dislodged 
and small pieces travel through my heart and into my lungs. And I'm very grateful that I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like you just, you wanted to be heard, mm -hmm. not even yeah. listened to. You just wanted to be heard. That's right. They, they didn't hear you. And um, as you know, with my journey this past year over cancer, so many times that just happens. And it, it's sad to me um, that mm -hmm. we're still having to deal with that. So as you mentioned, you know, over this past decade, you now have dedicated your career to improving the patient experience as I have and us at Mophi. But I'm sure that you have plenty of stories to tell about where improvements still need to happen. You and I actually sat at dinner with some friends uh, when we were in Boston this fall to discuss right. that. So in your opinion right now, what's the biggest challenge that PX professionals, practitioners face in their quest to make healthcare a better place for people? The biggest challenge. That's difficult because there's so many challenges, <laughs> Sean. But perhaps the biggest, if I were to have to step back and look at it, is that the work of patient experience is siloed in a number of ways. But when you think about patient experience, it is everything we do in healthcare, either directly or indirectly, touches the patient. And yet the work that we're doing is siloed. So it's siloed away from other work that is intricately connected with it, right? Patient safety, quality, employee engagement, even marketing and communications. We're not at those tables. And it's siloed in hierarchy. In the last role I had, I had four levels of leadership above me. I had no control over my budget. I had no decisioning power. I had to work through influence and it was a challenge. The silos are also who we report up through, which if you think about it, my last job, I reported to quality. So many report to the CNO or to human resources or to marketing or, right? And we can make really good rationale judgment for why that reporting. And that's because the experience is the umbrella over everything. And when we when we go up through one line of, we are now siloed. We're not connected to the whole. We aren't weaving across. Instead, we're fitting up through that silo and working just within that entity. And so with each of these silos, the ability to do this work is hampered. And you think about my own patient experience, that was a patient safety event. It was a mixed diagnosis. It was a failure to listen or communicate. All of that's interwoven. But when we look at this within healthcare, we see that as separate. And patient experience does not belong to just an individual or a small team. It does not belong reported up through one of those siloed lines. And patient experience needs to be integrated into all levels of the hierarchy and with all work that is done across our organization. It's the umbrella. And until we break down those silos and see it that way, we're not going to make movement. We're already seeing that. We're not making movement with experience. First off, um, for those that listen to a lot of them, I always joke about my pom-poms and I won't get them out. They're behind me right now. I'm <laughs> uh, cheering you on. With I that. would like to see that though, Sean. <laughs> you know, Give me a cheer. Uh, my whole team, everyone I've worked with have heard me say, I can tell you how important experience is within an organization within five minutes of me walking in. Because the first question I ask is, who do you report to? Mm -hmm. And 
if you're a director of patient experience, chief experience, I mean, we, we both know chief experience officers, Denise, that don't report to the chief executive officer. That's right. <laughs> right. They report up through someone else. That right there, to me, shows and places the value of what that organization thinks about mm-hmm. experience. So with that said, I think I know what you'll say, but I, I want to dig further into that. What advice then do you have for these healthcare systems who want to get serious about improving the patient experience? Because we hear the talk a whole lot, Denise, but we don't see the walk always. Or in your opinion, do these healthcare systems truly even care about patient experience? <laughs> and there's the question. Do the healthcare systems even care about patient experience? You know, on one side, I would say, of course they do. Of course, the individuals care about the patients. And yet our actions speak louder, right? And this is where we need to focus. I think the fundamental problem is that healthcare doesn't understand what patient experience is. And this is a large problem that I don't think we can overcome. I think it's become so embedded in the way that we look at patient experience within our healthcare systems, right? It is a satisfaction survey is what people think of it. And our ways of looking at it diminish what the experience actually means. And though we've had really great campaigns, I mean, the one from Barrel where people fill out those cards and hold them up saying, I am the patient experience. That's beautiful, right? That's great. It's not seen in the perception or actions of those within healthcare. And so we're not really seeing it that way. And the mandate of the CAPS surveys, in my estimation, has done more harm to this effort than it's improved it. They've created what I actually refer to as the industry of patient experience. We have a number of organizations and individuals who make a lot of money off of this industry. And yet we're not moving the dial and we're really only working to getting a number on a survey, not truly enhancing experience. And most in healthcare still think of it as customer service or scripted statements or tactics. And that's experience. They don't understand that patient experience, the experience that our patients are having is integrated into absolutely every touch point. And that includes those that directly touch them and those that do not. How our caregivers are feeling, the barriers that are in their way, that ultimately touches our patient because it impacts their ability to touch our patients. And then the consideration of impact on our patients need to be included in every decision. And it's not. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I'm kind of like you in the fact of, Yes, people care. Mm -hmm. And I loved how you put it, that we've actually made it an industry. I talk a lot, have the past couple of years around moving from experience management to experience as a strategy. And that's just such a vast difference in healthcare that it's hard for executives and leaders to get their heads around. What what do you mean? We do that. Because we do the caps, John. It Mm -hmm. is a strategy. You're looking to a number. And as you said, Denise, there's a whole industry with people making a whole buttload of money. Yep. We haven't really moved the needle in this. Yeah. No, 
No. You know, I recently polled the HCAPS data that's been publicly reported since 2008. I pulled it all and it's in PDF. So then you have to copy and paste into Excel, which is fine. That's, you know, put a good movie on and go to it. And then you pivot it. And when you look at that information and they nicely, it comes out as the U.S. as a whole, as well as all 50 states, plus some of our territories. And so when we look at that, we did improve in those first few years. And that's because people were actually motivated by, this is publicly reported, oh my gosh, people are going to see our dirty laundry. And we incentivize them through dollars attached to it. But since 2013, so a decade, we have not improved. Now, you could argue with me that a one-point movement is improvement. And I'd argue back that that's not statistically significant. And if you went from a 69 to a 70, you still have a long way to go here. So we're not moving the dial through that, right? And yeah. And what other industry would a 69 to a 70 be acceptable? Indeed. That's the hard thing for me to grasp. Yeah. When you're a kid, waiting in a line isn't much fun. But when you're always in the back of the line, well, that totally sucks. That's where Offer Health comes in. Our SmileMD business partners with dentists to move kids up from the back of the line by equipping dental practices with three-person in-office anesthesiology care teams who actually care about everyone they work with. Offer Health. Improving the lives of the underserved and under-resourced, one kid at a time. Learn more at OfferHealth.com. That's O-F-F-O-R, OfferHealth. Creating connections, improving lives, care you deserve. Okay, so, I mean, you've talked about, you, you pulled this data because obviously, as we heard, and when I read your bio to, to our listeners, you stepped away from being in a hospital system and in that and founded the PX community in 2021. And I know it's been a, a passion of yours. Why did you feel the need to create such an organization? Because there are other organizations out there that are PX related mm-hmm. that we mm-hmm. have talked about. Why did you feel the need to create this organization? And, and tell our listeners, how's, how's it going? Mm-hmm. So why did I create this? I've, I've had a number of work experiences. I had the privilege of working with Studer Group. So as I said, I was a fangirl of Quint Studer. And I just randomly submitted an application. And my goodness, they hired me. And they hired me as a product manager. I wasn't a product manager, but they also had never had a product manager. So um, I had that blessing to work with Studer Group. And then I also worked with Press Ganey. So two big ones on that side of uh, patient experience. And I have to say that in both instances, I was greatly disappointed that rather than working to the mission, we were working to the margin, right? They are for profits who were for profit. And that was a challenge for me. There were amazing people working within those entities, but it was not the mission that I had hoped our measure of success was not what I had hoped. You know, our measure of success should have been the improvement of our client's performance or their overall improvement of the health system nationally, but it wasn't. And then my work within the large nonprofit healthcare system out here in the Pacific Northwest, and I reported up through quality and I was under layers of hierarchy. There, We weren't actually working to enhance experience. 
And I've seen that same struggle across our country, the structures and the inability to move forward with work, even though the patient experience professionals are passionate, hardworking individuals. They don't have resources. They don't have positional power. They don't have, in many instances, they don't have the knowledge that they need to do something of this. You know, you have to wear about 10 different hats as a patient experience professional. And that takes a lot of experience and competency development. And most of them don't have that, not because they're bad people. They just haven't been given those experiences. So I'd seen that across our nation. And when, as, as I define it, I was given the opportunity to redefine my career, I was fired and I considered what my next steps would be. And for me, Sean, I have a strong need to make a difference, strong need. And because of that, I couldn't go back to working for a vendor and I couldn't go back into working for a hospital or healthcare system because I'd seen that they're all broken across our country. And I felt I had an opportunity to make a difference from outside and reach my hand in to help others. And so how's it going? I've met some amazing people. August was two years of this endeavor and I've learned a lot and it's setting me up for the next step, which I'm actively working on. So 2024 will be a shift in what I'm doing. It'll be bigger and better and partnered with others. And my measures of success for this early endeavor have been met. I have made initial ruckuses. I've gotten uh, some insight into what this is that I'm doing. And my dream is to create that, what I call the 2.0 of this endeavor. It won't have anything in the title of PX or patient experience because of what I've shared before. In my mind, we need to stop talking this work we're doing as patient experience. There's the experience of our patients but I think we have to break down and we to be able to remove the silo and to integrate this work into everything, we have to stop saying it's the work of patient experience and we have to stop focusing on that. And outside of that, I'm happy to talk with you or anybody else what 2.0 is bringing. It's pretty exciting. <laughs> I'm excited. I know you and I talked a little bit about it um, and I, I'm very uh, excited to help in that endeavor as well as you go. So. You know, as a person who focuses on being very maverick-minded and human-obsessed, and I think I like to, we used to use the word disrupt a lot, but Mm -hmm. raise a ruckus, a lot out there. And I love how you have such an emphasis on that. Where did this ruckus mantra for you come from, and how does it play out in your life and in work? So when I was given that opportunity to redefine my career, I took time to reflect and consider what those right next steps were. And during that time, I took a few courses from Seth Godin. Do you know who Seth is? Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. And so he had at that time, he no longer owns it, but the Akimbo um, training programs. And so I took a couple of those courses. And at the end of every... When he would join us on a Zoom call or we watched a video of his, when he ended, he would say, now go make a ruckus. And when you look at what he says make a ruckus is, he says, when we show up to make a ruckus, we're doing generous work. We're doing work on behalf of those we seek to serve. Then he also says we dig in and do something that might not work. So we're taking a risk. 
And ruckus making is about thinking outside of the box, embracing the unknown, being courageous and with a positive attitude. And that's what I love about Seth. He's he's not saying go about this and, you know, I've got to rip this apart and do something different. It's with a positive and generous attitude. Step out, give it your all, test, try and do something different. And Sean, that is exactly what we need in healthcare. So being a ruckus maker to me is identifying those things that are problematic in healthcare. That we're all aware of it, but so many people are scared to point it out, right? They're in a position where they really can't say it. And you know what? Nobody's going to fire me. I can say it. And if you're in LinkedIn or in other forums, many are complaining. But what I'm not hearing is, now what? What can we do? And that's part of the ruckus I'm making. We can do something. It's not us against the system. We are part of the system. So let's stop complaining. Let's understand the roots of the problem. And let's do something. Not blaming, not waiting for somebody else. But we collectively take action. Mm, I love that. So what's an example that you've made or seen that's made a difference in this world or made a ruckus? Well, I would say that uh, this thing that I've done, this lifting up of the PX community and saying, let's make a ruckus. And then some of the things I've said, well, that's my definition of a ruckus is to call things out. And I've had so many messages from people who say, I'm so glad you said it. I can't say it. And of course, the 2.0 of this endeavor will be a bigger ruckus. It's going to be stepping out and doing things very differently. But when you look at what other people have done, well, you could say Amazon started, how they started and where they're at now, that was a ruckus. What uh, Musk has done with Tesla and SpaceX, those are ruckuses. We may not be thrilled with either of those examples in regards to some of what they've done, but they've stepped out and they've done something different. We see ruckuses in healthcare, perhaps when we think about some of the technology. We have robotic surgery. That's, that's a ruckus. We have, uh, have you heard of Zev Nerwith? Oh, yeah. And his, oh my gosh, reading his book, Beyond the Wall, there are ruckus makers that he's identified. And it just, when I listened to him speak when I was in Boston with you, I was leaning forward in my seat. Those are ruckus makers. Those are my people. And so we've seen some ruckus, but not directly inside of healthcare. We're seeing it from outside. And so how do we now start to truly partner with those who are inside? Because I think that we have a lot of people who want to be ruckus makers. And how do we enable them, give them some empowerment and a platform to join in order to be able to do so? Now, wait, I love it. So I'm going to give you one minute. Give us some insight into what 2.0 is going to look like. Okay. With a small group that I've collected, so we've been talking for a few months now, there's physicians and nurses, pharmacists, uh, healthcare marketers. So I selected specifically people I've met in the last year, two years, and I asked them to come together and talk with me. And what we've identified, one, we need to empower the masses. And so how do you do that? And we're talking about how do we shift things in politics and vendors or disruptors and patients. We need to bring everybody together with a call to action. And so I, I won't go into a lot of detail about exactly what that means, but it's 
network weaving. So if you've heard about network weaving or network of networks, it's building that. And what we initially need to do is build that hub. So the 2.0 is going to be that hub with the spokes connected off. And then we're going to weave that network. And so there's a lot that I could share about that. Again, offline, I'd be happy to talk with you and anybody else who would like to talk to me about it. But we have to come together broadly. There is no longer a savior, right? It's, it's, I love Quint, but it's not going to be a Quint or other who can save healthcare. It's all of us united who can save healthcare. And so that's what 2.0 will be is to build that platform. All right. So we have done something new this season with all of you amazing women of healthcare. We've added this thing around a two minute drill and we use a how might we statement. And for our listeners who don't know about how might we statements, it's part of human-centered design, um, or you might've heard of it talked about as design thinking. And it's where we present a problem of how might we create, equip, do something like that to start ideation. And so what I wanna do with you is to have some fun. I wanna give us a how might we statement. And I literally, I've got my phone here and I've got a two minute timer set. And I want to just jam with you around a problem to solve. So are you up for that? Of course, yes, let's go. I know you are. So here we go. (laughs) How might we equip and inspire more people to make bigger and better game-changing ruckuses in the healthcare industry. Go. Mm. Well, I think the first thing we need to do is awareness, right? So not just we talk about what the problems are, but how do we equip them with awareness of they have, they have the power. So how do we give them a call to action with the tangible, how do I take it forward and do that? So there's, uh, well, I think about the ADCAR model, right? Awareness, knowledge, desire. How do we equip them with all of that along that path? It's change management, but it's, it's a mindset change. And how do we message that? What do you think, Sean? What would you so, contribute? So let me ask you this. Yeah. Because I love the mindset. Mm-hmm. I do think it's a mindset. What Mm -hmm. mindset do you think we need to change or how might we change that mindset in healthcare to be able to do that? I think there's a number of different mindsets. There's the mindset of, I have a role in this and can do something with it. It doesn't have to be a senior leader. It can be any of us. There's the mindset of just awareness that we have a problem. Healthcare, the way it currently is, this uh, continuance of this model is not going to work. And complaining about a disruptor coming in and doing something differently doesn't solve it. Instead, we should be asking questions. Why are they gaining traction? And how might we do the same or partner with them? So there's a, uh, when it comes to mindset, there's a lot of different things. And I think it depends on the stakeholder you're talking with. So I'm going to ask you this. Yeah. We'll magic wand with this in our how Mm. might we. What's the one thing if you could do it right this moment, you would change and it would sweep across the nation? <laughs> uh, if we, uh, healthcare would be a right that everybody has access to. Okay. Our timer went off right there. <laughs> Perfect timing. Awesome. 
thank you for that. All right. Now, something that's a tradition for the Combustion Chronicles is these things we call the combustion questions, mm-hmm. which are three randomly selected questions that I have had now for two years. My own AI who uh, produces these happens to be a human AI. Um, and I don't get to see these questions until I read them to you and they're passed to me. And um, they were just given to me. So, Denise, are you ready for your combustion questions? Sure. All right. Combustion question number one. If you could go buy a brand new car this afternoon, what color would you want it to be? Oh, a deep blue, like a midnight blue. Okay. And I have to ask, why? Oh, I just love that color. I find um, it's it's like evening and I, I just... I just love it, Sean. Okay. Does it have to be? <laughs> no, that, that's a great answer. Just, I love it. All right. Combustion mm-hmm. question number two. Amusement park, national park, or dog park? Oh, um, dog park. I So when I grow up, I'm going to have an old dog sanctuary. So it'll be a dog park. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael here at Mophie just shakes his head at me. We have three, Uh you know, the other day, my wife and I were sitting and found another one online and we're like, Oh, do we do the fourth? And no, (laughs) not right now. All right. Combustion Mm -hmm. question number three. What do you think about frogs? Uh, Frog legs. (laughs) Okay, <laughs> we heard it here. I grew, I grew up with people, a mother from and father from the south. So frog legs, uh-huh. that was kind of normal. So <laughs> I love it. Well, mm-hmm. Denise, thank you, thank you for all that you're doing in this industry and the ruckus you're making. And I've had the honor to be along this journey with you. And everyone wants to know anything about you or the community. I'm assuming go to LinkedIn or go to the PX community website. Right. Yes. Yes. Or email me at Denise at the pxcommunity.com. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, awesome. Again, thank you so much. Thank you for all that you do for this industry. And I can't wait to see you again in person. So mm-hmm. till then, stay safe and be well, my friend. You too, Sean. This was enjoyable. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Combustion Chronicles. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review. Remember that I'm always looking to meet more big-thinking mavericks. So let's keep the conversation going by connecting on LinkedIn. If you want to discover more about human-obsessed, maverick-minded leadership, go to mofi.co or go to experienceevangelist.com. To learn more about my mission to challenge leaders to blow up outdated, siloed systems and rebuild them with an aligned, human-first approach. As always, stay safe, be well, and keep blowing shit up. Mm -hmm.